Thanks a lot. Cousin Sal attempts a long-form interview edition. Today, author Jeff Perlman is joining me. He wrote everything. He wrote Showtime, which has turned into winning time. The rise of the Lakers dynasty premieres Sunday night on HBO. Oh, boy, those Lakers. You don't want to be betting on the current version of those Lakers. Another pseudo-embarrassing loss yesterday. Hope you capitalize by wagering on the Mavs at FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. With FanDuel, same game parlays, you can turn little bets into big paydays. Yes. Oh, how about a same day parlay for today? Same game parlay. Sixers money line, Sixers to score over 106 and a half points, Tobias Harris to score 15 or more points. It's that easy. Plus 338. Bet it. Cash in. Do it today. Make every game feel like the finals all season long. Easy to use, safe and secure. Payouts in as little as two hours. And if you're a new customer, you get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app or head to FanDuel.com and sign up using Against All Odds promo code to bet the NBA today and get your first bet risk-free. All right, let's bring them in. All right, here he is. You know, thanks to our next guest, Lakers fans may finally have something to look forward to this season. He's the author of the book Showtime, which the new HBO series Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty, is based on premiere Sunday night. Jeff Perlman, welcome to the show. What's happening, buddy? Are you saying the Russell Westbrook era is not going well? <laughs> well I, you know what? The story is not written yet. Maybe you can finish that story, actually. Uh, add to your uh, your litany of sort. My goodness, what what is going on with this team? I live in Southern California. Yeah. I have a neighbor, this kid named Drew, and every day he's like, they're getting better, right? And I'm like, <laughs> Drew, man, they suck. They're not getting better. They're horrible. It's the worst constructed team ever. No. Does Drew, do you think he, um, can you convince him to gamble? Because he could put an emotional hedge in by betting against the Lakers to make the playoffs, which is uh, exactly even odds right now. I, don't wow. know, I think it's it really. Yeah, that's to make top eight. So, of course, they'll they'll likely be in the seven through 10, but they'll have to win their way into the top eight, which I don't. I don't think they're doing right now. I really don't. I don't know what incarnation of this team you'd, you'd want to uh, go forward, right? It's actually interesting because I'm a New York native and I've lived out here for about seven years. Yeah. And LA sports fans tend to be very indifferent about things. And I've never seen more angry fans than I have about the Lakers of late. They have people yeah. are just raw and pissed. Right. Because there's a lot to be angry at, I think, right? And LeBron really isn't one of them at this point. He's putting up uh, miracle numbers, and they still can't get it done, which I think um, increases the anger, right? I think so. And I also think it's always a bad sign. I said this the other day to someone. Austin Reeves is like their eighth man. He's a rookie. Mm -hmm. And everyone's into like, oh, man, Austin Reeves, he's really good, right? And it's like when the highlight of your season <laughs> thus far, besides LeBron, <laughs> is Austin Reeves averaging eight points a game, you have problems. Yeah, exactly. They have a lot of problems. All right, you know, I want to talk about the Lakers and Showtime and winning time. But first things first, baseball is back, baby. We did it. Pitchers and catchers this afternoon. Oh, no, wait. The two sides couldn't get their shit together. And now the season is up in the air. I I don't even know what to say anymore about this. Like, I, I talk to experts and I talk to people, just schmucky friends. And we all say the same thing. It doesn't matter. It's like, well, there's too much money. Of course, they're going to have to settle this. And then they didn't settle it. It's what goes insane. On? It's insane. Um, the thing that I find remarkable is the lack of awareness on the part of baseball. Like, I don't know how much you see this, but I see it a lot. Like, I have a kid who's a high school sophomore. Mm -hmm. None of his friends care about baseball, major league baseball. Now, there might be kids who play high school baseball. None of them care. When I, I take my son to Angels games, we live near the Angels. He'll ask a friend, like, you want to come? You want? None of them want to come. Yeah. Um, Mike Trout 
He's the best player in baseball without question. Mm -hmm. If he walked through the streets of New York, maybe five out of a hundred people recognize him. Maybe. I mean, baseball has a real problem because younger fans don't care about it. And to just do this to yourself feels like, I wouldn't say it's suicide, but it feels like something closer to suicide than they realize. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And as you were going through that, it made me think maybe they're approaching this from a different angle. Maybe they're trying to get the younger fans by showing that, hey, we're against the uh, establishment. We're going against everything. We're, you know, you, you know how you rebel against your parents. This is what we're doing. We're not even going to have a season. What do you think of that? You like that? But I don't, yeah, maybe that's not the right approach after all. May not be the smartest know. approach. May not be. <laughs> you know, I, I, but you know, the, the more I read about it, and then I, I, get, I get furious with it, but it does seem like it's eight to 10 owners who are really cock blocking this whole situation. And it's the same guys. It's the Tigers owners. It's the Royals owners. It's the Pirates owners. And I feel like unlike other sports where you're, penalized for not spending enough money baseball. I know there is some kind of, you know, there's some kind of a sanction if you don't spend a bear on the cap, but it seems like you could just coast and then resell your franchise in 15, 20 years for a profit. And I think that's what a lot of the owners of the teams I just mentioned are trying to do. It's like, like a race car analogy. Like, why would you, you know, I'm not going to race fast. I don't care about winning the world series. I'm not going to race this car. Because uh, without a fender bender, my car is worth more in the end. Is there a I part just, of that too? They're not oh, playing on safe field. Hundred million percent. Dating yeah. back to when I was covering baseball, a lot of the owners are are very much aware that whether they win or lose, you know, there's a financial reward for winning. But is it a greater financial reward than if I spend the bare minimum? Right. Fans are still coming to my 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 publicly financed ballpark where they can spend. 15 bucks on a beer, 10 bucks on a pretzel, $20 to park. So mm -hmm. what is my motivation? I'm an owner. My number one priority is not winning. It's money. By far, my number one priority is money because I'm a greedy asshole. What is my motivation exactly for upping my payroll when I'm going to get basically the same results financially by my team going, you know, winning 70 games in a season? Right. And so, okay. So two things with that. One, is it, is it, is it more prevalent in baseball than in other sports? Or is that just how it's ringing out to me? And two, uh, if there is such a gap between the owners who want to win and the owners who don't give a shit, um, how could they ever fix anything and, and uh, specifically address the idea that bring younger fans back into like, how do they close the gap at all in this? I don't, I honestly don't know. I, yeah. I think one thing I will say about baseball in regards to younger fans, my son and I actually do this thing when we, we will sit at angel games and we'll play the game. How do you get younger fans? I swear to God, we've had a million talks about this. Mm. Baseball is the worst at it. They, it sounds dumb, right? They should be, they should be doing as much social media engagement during games as possible. Because if you look around stadiums, people are on their phones the whole time. So you should have during the game, you can listen to the third base coach on your phone. You can have an app where you can listen to so-and-so, or you can listen to the dugout, or you can even back in the old days when they did stupid stunts, like you uh, call the pitches for an inning. I know that sounds corny. I'm not saying you can do it that far. Right. They need to engage fans times a million and they don't engage fans at all. They should mic up Mike Trout during an inning. This inning, listen on your iPhone, listen to Mike Trout in center field. He'll talk to the fans. This inning, listen to the umpire, Mike the umpire during the game. Listen, they don't do any of that stuff. None of it. Also like they've killed the stolen base. The stolen base died. Very exciting. Base, uh, yeah. To me, you see, I'm wearing an Expos hat. To me, yep. the day of Ricky Henderson, of Tim Raines, of Vince Coleman, going back Lou Brock, the excitement of baseball somehow they need to get that back because they just have lost young fans. 
Yep, you're right. And as you were going through that, it made me think, okay, so they're on their phones, right? At, at the ballpark. Everyone's on their phone. Doesn't matter. We have the nets up, so they're, uh, you know, theoretically yep. protected. As long as they're on their phones, why not? <clears throat> you know, you don't want everyone to uh, develop a gambling uh, addiction, but why not like a free-to-play game? Like you accrue certain amount of points for calling pitches and and whatever you just said. You know, all, all the things that come up, uh, you right. know, uh, predicting the next home run, predicting the next strikeout, whatever. And yeah, do something. Jazz it up a little bit. Anything. You know what? It doesn't even have to be gambling. It can be for kids. Here's mm-hmm. your phone. Here's an app. If you pitch the ne- pick the next 10 pitches in a row, you win a t-shirt or you win yeah. a hot dog or so-and-so. Like, they just, it is the lead. You go to the NBA. The NBA is the most interactive, right. engaging sport you can go to. And baseball is a 180. And I freaking, you did, I love baseball. I love watching baseball. I love the pace of baseball. I love taking my kids, sitting there, chatting, eating. Most people in these days, the thing that baseball has never really figured out, in my opinion, is they're not competing against other sports and they're not competing against their own history. They're competing against phones. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, it doesn't matter if they're not not going to yeah. have a season. You know, part of me is like, well, I don't mind 140 games anyway. So if you cancel the first three weeks, uh, so be it. But really, it, 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 what a slap in the face it is anyway. Um, I do want to talk. you written books about the 90s Cowboys, the 86 Mets. I'm not sure how we're not best friends. Those are my two favorite teams of all time, that, that genre. You, but you never invited me over for dinner. Oh, that's why. Yeah. Well, you're at these Angels games. I can't pull you away. Um, They usually start at uh, 7-10. But you also contributed, did a great job on our 86 Mets documentary, Once Upon a Time in Queens. You were the one um, not slurring your speech. Who gets your MVP of that documentary? Oh, I love that question. All right. I would give it, weirdly, because I can't stand the guy, to Dykstra. (laughs) I thought Dykstra... Sometimes the way he would talk and the way he used his hands. Yeah. And when he was talking about it, it's business. You know, it's business. This is business. There's something about that where I just thought, man, Dykstra, I can't stand this guy, but he's really good in this documentary. Yes. he. Uh, it's weird that you can't stand him. You're politically aligned, I, I oh, feel. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, maybe not. Uh, no. Uh, all right. Funny thing about Dykstra, I brought him to that. That's the one interview I was there for. And I had to bring him to a house in, in uh, the middle of Hollywood. And, you know, you know, Dykstra, you don't know if he's going to show up or not, but I made it worth his while. He was the only one paid for the documentary. I gave him a couple hundred dollars to show up, but he really did knock it out of the park. I know, you know, whatever he he was. Uh, he was terrific. He was uh, on his game. He was a surprise. You know, there was a lot of Ron Darling stuff that we ended up cutting because it didn't really just it didn't fit the mold of uh, the whole thing. Uh, but but uh, yeah, he was terrific and uh, he let it all go. I feel like. He was the surprise of it, maybe, but Keith, it's hard to take it from Keith Hernandez. First of all, I think he sat for like three or four sessions. I was I was counting the um, wardrobe changes, and uh, and then the cat would have to get a uh, an, uh, an assist somewhere in there. But yeah, it was just uh, tremendous through and through. I thought. Wait, can I tell you my crazy Dykstra story? Please. Well, first of all, I just want to say you can give Hernandez all the praise he wants, and obviously he played for the team, and I'm just a writer. Yeah. You guys were in my backyard for eight hours. I didn't even get a t-shirt or an invitation to your house for dinner. So I'm really? Oh, no. Was it eight hours? Eight hours. Oh, I told him 10. I said, don't yeah. let Perlman off eight. without 10. No, yeah. I meant okay. only eight. Like, it was only <laughs> Oh, I got you. Oh, it you was only multiple days. Right. Okay. Yeah. True story about Dykstra. Yeah. Um, he hates the bad guys one, apparently. And he's never been very nice about it. And every uh-huh. now and then, we've gone back and forth on Twitter, which is never good. So a couple of years ago, we had some disagreement <laughs> on Twitter, which, again, is never good. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he tweets out a picture of my wife 
Oh, no. And he tweets, let's rate Jeff Perlman's wife's hotness on a scale of one to 10. How'd she do? She did well, but that's not the point. Oh, okay. I'm I, sorry. I'm my, <laughs> I only gave her seven, but everyone else, no. And um, <laughs> my wife, just a few weeks earlier, had literally donated her kidney to a stranger. Like, <sighs> she did not deserve this treatment. Right. And I, so I DM Dykstra and he wrote back, hey, dude, just checking to see if you're man enough to stand up for her. Good on you. I'll take it down. Oh, all right. So he was testing you. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Wait. <laughs> But there's a follow-up. You know Cameo, the thing Cameo? Sure. Order celebrities. I thought it'd be funny. My wife was not happy about this whole engagement. So I ordered her a Lenny Dykstra Cameo of him <laughs> being like, hey, Catherine, I know, blah, blah, blah. But just so you know, I gave you a 10 and, you know, whatever. Like, this is funny. Right. Dykstra does it. And he does it without wearing a shirt. He actually does a Cameo shirtless. Jesus. Now, I write him later. This all takes place in the span of like two days. Uh -huh. I write him after the cameo. I, I texted him and I'm like, hey, I know we had this thing, but I really appreciate doing that cameo. That was kind of funny. And uh, I go, no hard feelings about the tweet. And he had no idea what I was talking about. Oh, wow. And I don't think he wrote the tweet. I actually think he has someone doing his Twitter for him. Well, he, he for sure does. Um, because I've had all sorts of, uh, uh, all over the spectrum uh, on DMs from him, like from, uh, it, it seems like it was like from a, a, a Yale college professor um, to Lenny Dykstra. So yeah, there, there are multiple people manipulating his account, but that's so interesting. Think, wow. Wait, but think about it. It wasn't Lenny Dykstra tweeting out yeah. that great Jeff Perlman's <laughs> wife's hotness. It was actually an employee of Lenny Dykstra tweeting Amazing. out. Amazing. <laughs> an employee. Yeah. How much does that guy get paid? Exactly. Uh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's very weird that he's become the iron sheik, Lenny Dykstra. He's got people Ooh, uh, tweeting. Well Good reference. Yeah. yeah uh, well, and did your wife uh, afterwards, did she donate her liver to Lenny? I mean, that would have been the thing to do, right? No, she did not. <laughs> I have a quick Lenny Dykstra. It's, it's not that quick, but, but bear with me. And I wrote about this in my book. Uh, the only book I'll ever write. I don't know. You're a maniac. I don't know how you're you're approaching out double digits in books. I don't know how you do it. But I went uh, out to dinner with Lenny Dykstra uh, back when I thought it was cool. And, um, you know, I wasn't going to get arrested with him. By yeah. the way, the fact that he brags about not being arrested multiple months is all right. you need to know. But uh, so we go to this uh, restaurant. We have to change waitresses twice because he offends them. So now our waitress uh, is is a, a short, bald man. Um uh, about an hour in and we're talking whatever. And like every 20 minutes, he's trying to sell me something on flipping a house or some crap. And I just like, yes, my way to uh, the next subject. And then he tells me he does a live Facebook uh, check-in for um, after the Mets games. I was like, well, you're not even watching the Mets game. I was like, Let, let's put it on. So during dinner now, we're and they're playing the Phillies, which is kind of cool. Like, wow, Mets, Phillies, Lenny Dykstra, I'm watching with him. He watches, it goes like 12 innings, the Mets bullpen blows it. And he's like, all right, let's shoot it by the pool. We're at the Sunset Towers. We're on top. He's like, let's shoot the, my live thing by the pool. You mind shooting it? I was like, no, fine. And uh, as I'm about to shoot it, he notices Paul McCartney is uh, a couple tables over. He's like, holy shit, we got to get Paul McCartney on here. I was like, I'm not doing it. I'm not. Yeah, no, he doesn't want to be bothered. I've been through this a million times with Jimmy Kimmel, my cousin. I was like, don't, don't do it. I don't want to do it. So we settle on. He's going to talk about the Mets and then we're going to pan to Paul McCartney without him knowing and saying, even Paul McCartney's mad at the Mets. I was like, all right, good enough. Uh, I was like, that's all you can do. I'm not, don't make a scene here. Cause I'm telling you, I'm not going to film it. Sure enough. He goes, he's like, all right, all right, Lenny Dykstra from on top of sunset towers, Cal uh, the Mets losing 12 innings and 
holy fuck, it's Paul McCartney. And Paul McCartney turns around and I don't even pan. I leave the uh, iPhone right there. And he's now screaming at me for not panning. And as he's screaming at me, we get thrown out. Security throws us out. Of the wow. So there's my uh, Lenny Dykstra. Didn't, didn't cost me a kidney or anything, you- but... Would you like say it. you like or dislike Lenny Dykstra? I, I man, I I, I want to like him. I really do. There are so many times when I'm like, wow, you're a smart dude. What the hell are you doing? And then he just uh, and he throws you for a loop. Um, well, you know, eighty five percent the rest of the time. Wait, can what I ask you a you? controversial? Can I ask you a controversial question? Yeah. Who was the worst interview in the '86 uh, doc? Oh, interesting. <laughs> well, the worst ones are the ones that turned it down. Like I don't understand. Like. Um, you know, uh, Howard Johnson afterwards is like, they didn't ask me. And Jesse Orozco, same kind of thing. Like, uh, that bummed me out. Uh, the worst ones, man, I really liked them all. Did you, do you have one in mind? No, I, well, I think, uh, strawberry can be a little stiff, but he's, yeah. he just, I mean, you know, respectfully, he has become very religious and I think he's right. He doesn't totally embrace that era, but actually he was good for what he usually is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you wanted it different because they already did a 30 for 30 on Gooden versus Gooden and strawberries. So it's like, all right, it had to be different from that. What are we going to take from that? But I really did like all of them. Like, uh, you know, the players were all terrific. I thought Backman, even Ojeda, uh, night was very good. Night's great doc. Yeah. It's just sad. You know, my, I I saw you do an interview once and I was like, I watched it. I was like annoyed. And then I was like, oh yeah, shit, he's right. The, the crux of it was these baseball players. I think you were focusing mostly on baseball players, but athletes in general, it's kind of a pathetic life. Even if you hit the top of the mountain, right? Like oh, yeah. I think the, maybe you could rephrase it in, in the way you actually said it, but it's like, yeah, sure. Everyone will buy you a drink the rest of your life, but there's nothing going forward. This was 30 years ago and uh, it's not ever going to get better. And that's sad. And I was like, oh, but at least they have that. And uh, but may- maybe uh, what, what, what do you think about that? Do you still feel the same way? I debate this with a friend all the time. This yeah. is going to sound ridiculous to a lot of people, but I think you get it. Like, are you better off having been a professional athlete than not? Because right. financially, sure, you probably are. But like, you're never going to recapture what you had at 30. And people may mm-hmm. say, yeah, but you had it at 30. But to go another 50, 60 years knowing what cocaine is like and never getting another another snort. You know, I'm, I don't I haven't used cocaine, but you know what I mean? Like that high. Mm-hmm. And not only that, always being reminded of it over and over and over and over and over. Lenny Dykstra will be 80 years old and people will be like, nails. It seems like a torture chamber. It really doesn't like, I met, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 49 years old. I can write now probably better than I did at 29. You know, like you actually get better at certain things in life. Right. You're an athlete. Once it's gone, it's gone. And you're always trying to recapture it. And you're always reminded of where you were. And it just feels like a torture chamber in a lot of ways. Yeah. I just, I wonder if it's different from a lot of other things like, like Greg Brady, for instance, um, kind of the same thing, right? Very much the same thing. He's not going to pull off a Sopranos role um, all of a sudden at at 60. Right. So um, there's that. The other thing is, how when my son brought this up to me, he was like, after he watched the documentary, my 16 year old, he's like, wow, thank God they won. What a bunch of losers. This would have been the saddest story ever had they lost game six like that. I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's the other part of it. The Bill Buckner part. So, yeah, there's there's everybody else who doesn't make it. So I, I don't know if it's better to have won that thing. I know what you're I, I now know what you're saying, but um, I also feel like they're in the mindset from very young where they're going to be able to accept this way of life for the next 60, 70 years. Probably. It's just, I just think it's really, I just think 
there's a great book or article to be written about the mm-hmm. retired athlete and the struggles of the retired athlete, and not just the CTE or dep- alcohol dependence, but the ego blow and just the way it totally messes with your ego and you think you're this thing and you're this thing. And one day it's just over, but right. everyone always remembers it. You know, it's not like it's over and then you can walk away and go to law school. It's right. over and everyone knows who you are and remembers. And even if they don't, oh, you're so-and-so. And there's always that moment, that really sad moment when you're walking into a Whole Foods and someone says, wait, did you play baseball? And you have to be like, oh yeah, well, I played a little ball. And the mom says, oh no, Johnny, he played for the 86 Mets. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, what's your name? Oh, it's uh, it's Jesse Orozco. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, can you sign an autograph? And Jesse Orozco knows this kid, has no idea who he is. The mom knows he has no idea who he is, but the whole thing takes place. And I've seen that play out so many times and it actually hurts my heart to witness. Yeah. I can confirm that nobody knows who he is. I was lucky enough to throw out the first pitch at a Mets game. It was like a Tuesday afternoon against the Pirates, like a 12.45 start. And uh, I got there and I had the number 47 on Roscoe. I'm a lefty and I was going to replicate the last pitch of the World Series where he throws the glove in the air and celebrates and uh, and uh, uh, minus the part where the the team like uh, ambushes me in that part. But uh, I did it. And, you know, it's like 20 minutes before the game on a Tuesday afternoon. And there was no one in the stands. There were like 300 camp uh, camp goers with counselors. You know, they all had the same, like an orange shirt. So, you knew they were from the same camp and they obviously had no idea what I was trying to pull off. So it was really just for me. So yeah, it's sad, but then you could be like a Roscoe and just not do interviews and, uh, and turn it all off, I guess. Right. I just want to say two things. Number one, I could see these kids in the stands being like, mom, <laughs> why is that man having a seizure? And number two, <laughs> I, um, I was with Jesse Roscoe. I swear to God, this is true. I went to Legoland to see a Jessica Simpson concert with Jesse Roscoe. And Stop on it. the way home, he ran over a cat accidentally in his Humvee. Really? All in one nugget of Jesse Roscoe experience. Wow. You think that's why he doesn't want to do interviews? He's afraid someone will bring up the cat incident? I think he's probably shy and he probably wants to just move past his stuff. I'm surprised yeah. Hojo didn't though. Hojo's a really nice guy. <laughs> Who would have thought Kevin Mitchell didn't have the most notorious uh, cat incident with the exactly. <laughs> of the 86 exactly. Mets team. Exactly. Um, I did want to bring up, I was talking to a friend of uh, Dave Damashek and I were going back and forth and uh, with all these color commentators and, and uh, play-by-play guys getting paid Celine Dion money to sit in the booth, the greatest call in my estimation, it's hard to argue. Uh, do you believe in miracles, Al Michaels? Right? You with me there? Sure. Yeah. Second, I don't even know what else. What's third? Vin Scully behind the back. I mean, I guess it's because I'm an '86 Mets fan. What's your I second? Lo- yeah, I think I would put that there too. I lo- I've, you know, it's. I don't know if you feel this way or not, and I swear to God, I'm not just saying this for like effect or sports writer effect. It's it's the only play I know of where I watch it now and I've seen it probably 300 times Mm -hmm. and I still don't believe he's going to not feel the ball. Like there's still this little moment in me of shock every time it goes through his legs and Scully's call is so ridiculously good. And everything about that moment is so I can watch when that, you know, I DVR'd the 30 for 30 and that I thought that was, I thought everything about that episode was brilliant Mm -hmm. and watching it go through his legs, hearing Scully's call, hearing Knight talk about it. Everything about that is magical. So it's a strong, definitely Al Michaels has to be number one. And uh, I would say Scully. I agree. I can't even think of a number three. Yeah, it's it's, uh, again, yeah, that's got to be number two. And you know what? Michaels better watch it. You better brush up on that. Do you believe in miracles? Scully might pass him in the next couple of years. Who knows? Uh, 
yeah, I'll say, yeah. Well, first of all, the, the, the Astros game, that, that Astros series, that was the third episode. That to me, was like, I, I don't know, maybe it's because I've seen behind the bag so many times and behind the bag was great in game six and I can never get enough of it. But the Astros, how close they were to losing that Astros series oh, yeah. is insane. That was uh that stood out to me, obviously. Uh, but also there's that one shot of Mookie just following Mookie. I didn't even know this oh. existed. We were so thrilled. It was basically Copacabana going through the dugout to the clubhouse, to the tunnel, to the clubhouse and seeing a bunch of the players who had given up on the game. And uh, that to me was the the best moment of the. Oh, I loved. Are you talking about the moment? You're talking about the moment. Is it when he walks through the tunnel? Yeah. I saw that that before. Never blown away. Absolutely blown away by that footage. Loved it. I don't know if you knew this. They didn't talk about it in the. You guys didn't talk about in the series, but um, Hmm. the ball goes through Buckner's legs, and I wrote about this in the book. Umpire picks it up. I guess it was Herspec, maybe. I don't remember who was at first base. Mm -hmm. Umpire picks it up gives it to Art Richmond, the traveling secretary for the Mets, who had right. been a baseball guy forever, and said, here, keep this for your collection. He goes into the dugout, asks Mookie to sign it, and Mookie writes, I think, uh, to Art, here's a ball that won it, Mookie Wilson. Oh, no. And then um, years later, Charlie Sheen bought it at an auction for I don't know how much, 100000 bucks or whatever. So he actually owns that ball right now, I think. I think I did hear that, and then I forgot about it. I didn't, I didn't know the lead-up to the Charlie Sheen part. Wow. Yep. Wow, that's crazy. All right, let's take a quick break, Jeff, and then we'll be back with more Lakers, Cowboys, Mets talk. Out of all your books, which includes, obviously, one of my favorites about the 86 Mets, the bad guys won. Uh, but were you surprised? That was not the one that got turned into a television series. It was it was game. It was a Showtime, and now Winning Time. I'm getting confused because they yeah. they had to change it from. They can't call it Showtime because it's on HBO, right? I mean, Showtime really dropped the ball here, basically. Showtime should have bought the rights, and this could have been perfect. Yeah. Cinema. Also, it is weird because HBO does show the Eddie Murphy movie Showtime on HBO. So. Right. That's right. Oh man. Uh, what a big mess. I hope people aren't too uh, confused, but <laughs> let me ask you about this. So uh, when, when you, they do a television series, you must be excited about it because wow, they're turning your work into it, but also you have to be a little nervous. Like, Oh my God, what if they ruin all my hard work and turn it into um, like Pam and Tommy Lee, like AC green's penis has its own character. Are you a little apprehensive about what you're about to see? Well, I've seen them all already. I've seen the okay. episodes. And um, I just said this to my dad the other day. I was like, if people hate the show, I can say, you know, it's just based on my book. And if people love the show, I can say it was based on my book. Right. I'm, like, right, it's right, not, right. I'm not a writer for the show, so I can always use that excuse and give myself a little distance. But I actually love the show, so I, I'm pretty confident people like it. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. What can we expect? So now, like, to me, Magic Johnson obviously was the key to the Lakers' success when they get the number one pick in 79. Although it seems, and I, I don't know, again, I'm in blind now. Jerry West wanted Sidney Moncrief and the Lakers almost went with him over magic. I wouldn't say they almost went with him, but West made a very hard push for Sidney Moncrief. Okay. And here's the argument. How big of an NBA guy by guy are you? Uh, six, five. I don't know. I would make the argument. I'm not saying the Lakers would have been as good without magic. They wouldn't have been, mm-hmm. but it would have been a backcourt of Norm Nixon and Sidney Moncrief, which Jamal Wilkes at small forward Kareem at center. Mm-hmm a pretty freaking good basketball team like <laughs> Sidney Moncrief was not a joke it's not like oh they would have taken right. Magic or David Greenfield like David Greenwood like Sidney Moncrief could flat out play so yeah. and you know Jerry West's concern which made sense was there had never been a 6'9 point guard in the NBA and mm-hmm. 
what's going to happen when he's bringing the ball up the court and all these little gnats are coming after him and all six foot guys like tiny, tiny Archibald are trying to steal the ball. How is that going to work? Right. It wasn't like West didn't have some logic to his concern. He was just off on that one. But he was so ahead of his time with that from everyone else in the league. Right. And I think that's going to, that's going to show in this series. Well, I I think what you saw with the Lakers back then, Mm -hmm. I mean, it really was the owner, Jerry Buss, like, um, he, he bought the team the same year Magic came along. And he saw the Lakers and he saw the forum and he just thought it was stale. He thought basketball mm-hmm. was stale. And he's like, people are just going to watch basketball and they need to go to be entertained. Like this should be an entertainment venue. So he birthed the Laker girls. Not literally, but he was he made, he made the Laker girls. Um, there was a place called the Forum Club, which was like Studio 54 inside the forum. Sure. Piped in music, uh, just halftime entertainment, on and on and on and on. Everything you see in the modern NBA did not exist before Jerry Buss came along and said, we need to do all this stuff. So he, he was really the one who saw, per, in the way baseball should now, coming back to what we talked about originally, like people shouldn't just go to a sporting event for the sport. They should go mm-hmm. to a sporting event for the entertainment venue. And Buss was the one who picked that up immediately. Is there an Art Richmond uh, sign my ball moment that didn't make it that, that, uh, that you think should have been in there? There's a moment in my book that I love that I feel like that didn't make the series I'm not mad or anything, but I always thought it was like the definitive moment. And it's, um, it was actually two magic comes to LA for the first time to negotiate. And he's picked up at the airport in a limousine sent by the Lakers and he's driving mm-hmm. to the forum and he asks the driver to stop the car. And Matt Johnson's from Michigan and he opens the door to the car and he sees oranges growing on trees mm. and he reaches up and he picks an orange from the tree. And he's like, you guys grow fruit on trees. That is crazy. <laughs> I can't believe, oh my God. And I just love the image. You know what I mean? Of like a 20-year-old Magic Johnson being blown away by an orange on a tree in LA. And the other thing is, the first time he went to the bus's house, this is during early negotiations, Genie Bus, who at the time was just a fringe figure in sort of everything Lakers, answers the door. Uh, her dad isn't quite ready yet. Her and Magic are talking. Magic says, Jeannie told me this. Magic says to her, uh, my plan is I'll play for the Lakers for a couple of years. Then I'll probably sign with the Pistons and go home and play in, in Michigan. And Jeannie Buss, as soon as she like excuses herself and she goes to talk to her dad, she's like, dad, dad, he says he's only going to stay here a few years and he's just going to go back and play in Michigan. And Jerry Buss's reply was, Jeannie, once he gets a taste of LA, he'll never want to leave. Wow. Mm-hmm. He was right. And Matt, yep. uh, by the way, I'm glad. I'm, I'm sorry. I know you miss it, but I'm glad they didn't do that orange scene with the with the on the tree because I would have been like, oh, that didn't happen. That yeah, didn't I know, happen. but it did. It did. I know. Well, <laughs> then you'd have to you'd have to jump in and, uh, yeah. and 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 explain that it did. But it just yeah. seems it just seems so crazy. Well, thank God it worked out for the Lakers. Uh, has helped them this year. Uh, do you know of any former or current player? Well, you you saw the whole thing. Can can you tell us about any cameos or? No, because well, the only the so Magic Johnson. The Lakers are having nothing to do with the series. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know Jeannie, who I like, is not happy about it happening. She's, I guess, I don't know, worried about the depictions. Magic right. just said he's not, you know, he's not excited for it. Kareem, not excited for it. The cool one is Norm Nixon, who is the Lakers point guard, is played by his son, Devon Nixon, who's an actor, actually plays Norm Nixon. In oh, that's show, fun. Which is very cool. So, um, you know, it's like a loaded cat. I mean... It's Sally Field and Adrian Brody and John C. Riley and yeah, bunch of people. Yeah, it's really cool. I'm very excited for it. I mean, oh, there's I, a huge cameo. Wait, I didn't mention the biggest cameo. Go ahead. 
I don't want to, I don't want to get you too excited. Okay. All right. Promise you won't get too excited. Is it Lenny Dykstra? That wouldn't really make sense, but yeah. Better. It's Jeff Perlman playing reporter number three. Oh, all right. <laughs> he buried the lead. Oh, that would yeah. have been a nice surprise. Yeah. <laughs> you won't even see me. You won't notice it's me anyway. So. How did you research for the role? What did you do? I mean, you must have really had to clear out your schedule. Well, I thought to myself, be as nerdy as I usually am. <laughs> and I uh, spill something on my jacket before I go and I'm good. Oh, good. All right. <laughs> all set. Let me ask you this. And uh, we appreciate having you. This, is, this has been a lot of fun. Cowboys, Lakers, Mets, you've covered them all. If you could be a backup role player on any of those teams, which would you most want to be on? Which would you least want? Which would be the scare? Would you want to stay away from? I'd stay away from the Cowboys. Um, <laughs> number one, because I value my brain too much to get cut for suffer CTE by playing football. And also okay. the cocaine scene, just not my thing at all. Um, I think the, uh, the Mets would be the most fun. Number one, yeah. it, was my home, it was my hometown, you know? And also like, I think, that's a, that book, The Bad Guys One, is the closest thing I've written. And I'm not saying it is, but it's the closest thing I've written to like a cult classic kind of book where Met fans come up to me all the time and write me all the time. Oh, man, that book, that book, that book. And I just really like, I really feel New York in that time period and being a kid and growing up with the Mets. And I just love the, like Shea Stadium's a shithole. And I love that. And the mm -hmm. brashness of the town. And the, so I'm all about the 86 Mets. Where we, we did you grow up? What Malapak? Is that where I read? Is that where you are? Mahopak, damn it. Mahopak. Mahopak? Oh, God. That's see, that's not what Long Islanders call it. It's Mahopak. All right. I'm, I'm or from Mayopak. We I used to say Mayopak. Really? I had two shots to get it right and I, I, I picked the Love wrong it. one. Okay. Home of, I don't want to brag, but home of former Seattle Mariner lefty Dave Fleming. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. That, wow. That is a lot of bragging there. Um, so, how far is that from, from Flushing? That is about an hour's drive. Okay. So, I mean, that's basically what I, I came from Eastern Long Island for the most of the, most of the games I drive out to uh, Shea, but yeah, same kind of thing. I loved Shea. I, I you know, I, oh. I, I, I get why they took it down, but I loved it. Everything about it. Don't you think it like, I just felt like it perfectly symbolized the Mets, which is mm -hmm. a little peeling paint, a little concrete with some cracks in it. Yeah. And it shook a little bit too much when people cheered the planes going over it. It was an imperfect mess. Yeah. Like that franchise has been. It really, I don't know if you could see over my um, left shoulder is the uh, 338, the Shea right there, the, the left field, basically wall there. Uh, my cousin Jimmy and I got in on some memorabilia and we got, <laughs> that's a great piece right there. But we got Rook, the 1986 World Championship Mets, that sign in left field. Yeah. We have that, but it's a piece of cardboard. I mean, it's, uh, and we paid many thousands of dollars. I'm embarrassed to say how much we paid for it. It's a piece of car. And it was, as advertised, it was the last one hanging at Chase Stadium. But the dirty little secret is, yeah, it's cardboard. Every time it rained, they switched it out. So it wasn't even really a sign. So uh, you won it? No, we didn't win it. We, you know, we, we, we bought it. I guess, I don't even know if there was uh, a, but do you have auction. it somewhere in your, is it somewhere in your house? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, but the Jimmy Kimmel live art department could have whipped it up in like uh, 35 seconds. Yeah. Sorry. Man. So yeah, but there you go. Well, Jeff, what, what expos uh, memorabilia do you have? I have almost no, I have a, uh, the only <laughs> thing I have is a, uh, my father-in-law years ago, but got me a signed 86 Mets team ball, but those things are not that hard to come by. Is that true? They really, but you have all the signatures. I do have all the signatures. Oh, so that must, why is that not hard to come they by? They did so many signings over the years. They just, they? there was a guy named Mead Chasky. I don't know if you know that guy. And he was a memorabilia guy. And he just, yeah. I mean, the, they held so many events. 
Right. They brought those guys together, which is cool. But the value of a ball is probably a hundred bucks, maybe. Listen, why don't you make an NFT out of the uh, DM exchange between you and Dykstra and then then you're set for life. You don't have to worry about these books anymore. Done. Sold. (laughs) Jeff, very excited about this weekend and Sunday. And uh, maybe I'll I'll see it an Angels game uh, sometime in 2029. Yeah, we'll be there. All right, Jeff Perlman. Thanks again, pal. All right, take care. Na 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 na